Hey, hello everybody. This is Chris. This is episode 171 of the Libertarian Republican Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Um, so, the previous episode I did was on, uh, well, the very last episode was about, I, or I mentioned anyway, the, the Hans Hermann Hoppe essay. But before, I did a few episodes ago, I did, a few, I did an episode on Murray Rothbard's 1974 essay, Anatomy of the State. And this is one of those essays that, I mean, really, it's, it, it, I, I try to go back and reread it as often as I can remember to do because it's so good and so prescient, you know, it's so, it, it explains our world so well. And, uh, so I think the, the first episode I did, I guess it was part one. So Rothbard's Anatomy of the State, part one. I can't remember which episode it was. But that was, um, basically, I just covered the first two little mini chapters in that. You know, what what the state is and what the state isn't. You know, what the state is not. It's not, uh, it's not us. It's not you and me working together in harmony. And no, that's not what it is. The state is a group of people uh, who have a monopoly on force and violence over us. And, you know, we, we elect them. And, but see, you know, that's the thing. We elect some of them, a very, very tiny, tiny little percentage of them at this point. And that's pr- one of the major problems with America is that we really only elect a tiny little group of people. The people who really run this country are the unelected bureaucrats who are there for 30, 40 years. And they can do anything they want. And and the president of the United States is so powerful now, and he is in charge of all of those bureaucrats. He's in charge of the executive branch. So the you know, we, we elect this president and he can basically do anything he wants. And the only and Rothbard goes on later, and I'm gonna get into that later. Uh, he talks about the Supreme Court and, and uh, you know, John C. Calhoun talked about this, about how if if you've got this major party and the minor party and the major party controls everything and wants to expand the powers of government, well, what can the minor party really do about it? If, if the if the if and, I, and I've been talking about this, if Joe Biden gets another two, one, two, three Supreme Court justices, well, then he can literally do anything he wants because the only check right now on the power of the executive branch is is the supreme court the supreme court can say no that's that's unconstitutional but if they don't if they decide if if a bunch of statist supreme courts get in there and basically decide nope the everything is constitutional there's nothing you know the no matter what oh the 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 Joe Biden wants to nationalize all industries. Oh, that's okay. Yep, totally, totally cool. Totally part, totally constitutional. And what, what can we do about it? What can anybody do about it? Nothing. You know, that's you're asking the government to to regulate itself, to control itself. So, uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself because what um, what the, this third little mini mini chapter is about is titled how the state preserves itself. And I think it's really 
really important to, to look at it because, you know, he's saying that any government must have the support of the majority. And I, in my last episode, I talked about that majoritarianism, about how the Democrats are mature, majoritarians. And so if all they need is the support of the majority, you know, that's it. That's all they need. And they feel that they can do anything they want. And so what are the, some of the ways that the government, the people in government, what are some of the ways that they get the majority, they get the support of the majority? And one of them, the first one he mentions, is vested economic interests, right? So you want, they, they ally themselves with certain economic interests, certain big businesses that uh, are protected, are helped and protected by, and I've talked about this before, how regulations, how government regulations benefit big corporations. So the, because they erect barriers to entry for competitors. So, for example, the big car companies, they don't want me to start, you know, if you wanted to start your own car, let's say you're, you, you are looking around and you're saying, wow, there's, there's a potential market for a really simple, basic, inexpensive car. Well, the Congress, the United States Congress has made it illegal to build an inexpensive, simple car because they've, they've mandated, federally mandated all sorts of, of very complicated and expensive technologies to be included in, in a car. And uh, so, and that's exactly what the big car companies want, because that stops you from starting that little company start that that's going to build a an inexpensive car that's affordable for college kids for example because the big car companies don't want you to start that company and and compete against them they want everybody to be forced to buy the most complicated and most expensive cars imaginable because the more expensive the car is the more money they make so they don't want you to have inexpensive options so, you know, this is, so that's the one way that the government, um, the, the government uh, builds a group of people, sort of builds an alliance with people who are going to be on their side, right? So, and the, the other group he talks about, he says, um, he's I quote, quoting him here, the majority must be persuaded by ideology that their government is good, wise, and at least inevitable. And this is where he gets into the intellectuals. And this is just great stuff because he talks about the vital social task of the intellectuals is basically to convince you that government is good because, and he's talking about how, you know, the, the intellectuals are therefore the opinion molders of society. The, the intellectuals livelihood in the free market is never to secure right? Because it's, it's tough to make a living as an in intellectual, right? Well, what is an intellectual? What do they do? What, what uh, is their value to society? Well, the, the state, and he, here's, I'm quoting, the state, on the other hand, is willing to offer the intellectuals a secure and permanent birth in the state apparatus, for the intellectuals will be handsomely rewarded for the important function they perform for the state rulers of which group they now become a part. So the, so the intellectuals, their job in society 
is to convince you that government is good, to convince you that government is wise and smart and, and, and if nothing else, inevitable and necessary, right? And so think about that. Think about the intellectuals, all the people, all the talking heads on CNN and MSNBC and in the Washington Post and the New York Times and, and on The View, you know, Whoopi Goldberg considers herself and one of the intellectuals on, you know, on The View talking about, you know, uh, talking about current events and important issues. These are the intellectuals, Bill Maher and, and uh, you know, Stephen Colbert and, you know, whoever, uh, Jamie Oliver or whatever. All these people on, on television, they're, they're the intellectuals. Tell, and what is their primary job? To convince you that the government is full of really good, smart, wonderful, wise people who know what's best for you. You know, so it's just, it's just incredible how, and this is written in 1974. So, okay, uh, another successful device is to instill fear. Now, I did a whole episode on the politics of fear a couple episodes ago. I mean, this is one of the things that governments do. They they create fear, and so they they and they offer themselves as the savior. We will save you. We will. They want you to be terrified of something, and then they say, and and I will save you from that, whatever that is. Uh, they say, you know, criminals and marauders, or or other state rulers, you know, Russia, China, I will save you. Um, another, uh, another, another weapon he talks about is tradition, right? So you, you don't want to buck tradition. Oh, this is the way it has always been. You can't, you know, oh, if you, if you go against us, you're going against your ancestors. You're going against history, you know, and, and, um, uh, he, I'm, I'm quoting him here. He says, the greatest danger to the state is individual, is independent intellectual criticism. There is no better way to stifle that criticism than to attack any isolated voice, any razor of new doubts as a profane violator of the wisdom of his ancestors. Another potent, uh, and then you know, basically continues, uh, quote, another potent ideological force is to deprecate the individual and exalt the collectivity of society, right? So basically, they, they, any criticism, they, they, because government is very good at saying that we are the people, you know, the, we, the government, we are the people, and any attack or any questioning of us is questioning the people. You're questioning the people. You're questioning society itself, and you're attacking society itself, right? <laughs> and this is, look at, you know, COVID. The selfish individuals were a threat to the collective. So this is one of the things that, uh, that they, that, that one of the way, another way that government convinces you to be loyal to it, Right? Um, furthermore, he goes on, furthermore, an attack on conspiracy theories. Mean, <laughs> and once again, this was written in 1974, conspiracy theories. Uh, furthermore, an attack on conspiracy theories 
means that the subjects will become more gullible in believing the, quote, general welfare, unquote, reasons that are always put forth by the state for engaging in any of its despotic actions, right? So the government can do anything, and and it, it will, if you question it, you're a conspiracy, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh, you're, you're a, an enemy of the general welfare. So he goes on to, to say, quote, a conspiracy theory can unsettle the system by causing the public to doubt the state's ideological propaganda. Right, and that is what must not be allowed to happen, right? You must not question. Um, so hopefully you don't hear too much of this paper ruffling because I'm, I'm basically reading from, I printed, printed this out. It's so good. I mean, this is so good. But okay, another, he goes on, another method for bending subjects to the state's will is inducing guilt, right? Any increase in private well-being can be attacked as unconscionable greed, materialism, or excessive affluence. Profit-making can be attacked as exploitation, right? This is, this, and this is what the Democrats do. This is what the statists do. If you're making a profit, you must be evil and greedy. This is what, this is basically what communists do. And this is why, you know, these people, these people, they're, they're essentially communists. The, the Democrats are communists, like I always say, but they are, but the people in government, you know, they, they view, they, they, they understand this tool that they can basically, they can basically point to success as a, as a, uh, as bad. Success is bad. If you're successful, well, that means you are an evil exploiter and an oppressor. Of the people, and one that gets it back into what I always talk about about Marxism. Um, but uh, uh, somehow the conclusion always being drawn that more resources should be siphoned from the private to the public sector, right? So um, because the the and he talks about how because any time the government spends money, you know. And Thomas Sowell has a great quote about this that's a million, you've probably seen it a million times about how, you know, please explain how me wanting to keep my own money is greed, but you in the government, the gut, when the government wants to take my money, that's not greed. You know, we have that, but that's all part of the, the propaganda, right? That's the propaganda that the, that the, the communists, the Marxists, the, the statists um, have convinced us to believe that the people in government are good and wise and noble and, and they're such good people and they're, they can't possibly be selfish or self-serving or greedy. No, they're good. They're, they're devoted to a higher and nobler cause. You, you, you are, a, oh, you're obviously a greedy, rotten you know, selfish person, if you have a, you know, a small business and you want to make money, oh, you greedy, rotten, awful person, you, you know, this is how it, this is, this is how it works. This is how the government, how these, these communists, um, basically try to turn people away from the private sector because they can only survive in the public sector. You know, these, these Democrats, basically they can only survive in the, in the public sector. Because they're useless. 
I mean, you know, Joe Biden is an absolutely useless, just valueless moron. <laughs> I mean, he's a moron. He wouldn't. He, he wouldn't want to put this guy in charge of of sweeping the floors at 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 Seven Eleven. He's an idiot. But he has managed. But when he gets into government, he's he's the king now. You know, because that's the only place he can. That's the only place these morons can can excel. So they must they must convince the the majority of people that that they are good and and they must be uh, they must be exalted, right? So, okay. Now this is the so the last thing he mentions here in this little mini chapter is science. Okay, and this is keep in mind 1974. And I've talked about this before about how how communism is basically this exaltation of science, right? That's the whole point. You know, we saw this. That's the 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 French Revolution, the metric system, this whole idea of central planning. Well, we were gonna we're gonna put scientists in charge of all of society, and and uh, and, and and we're seeing that now. Obviously, during COVID, we've seen this just in, to an insane degree, uh, you know, if you question anything, you're anti-science. But, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm quoting. Rothbard says, in the, in the present more secular age, and keep in mind, once again, he's writing this in 1974, the divine right of the state has been supplemented by the invocation of a new god, science. State rule is now proclaimed as being ultra-scientific as constituting planning by experts. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Dr. Fauci saying, I am the science. Does Does that sound familiar? Oh my God. So he goes on, quote, but while reason is invoked more than in previous centuries, this is not the true reason of the individual in his exercise of free will. It is still collectivist and determinist, still implying holistic aggregates and coercive manipulation of passive subjects by their rulers. The increasing use of scientific jargon has permitted the state's intellectuals to weave obscurantist apologia for state rule that would have only met with derision by the populace of a simpler age. Really good stuff there. I mean, it's just unbelievable how accurate, how prescient this whole thing is. And, and he finishes up with a quote from H.L. Mencken. Uh, when a private citizen is robbed, a worthy man is deprived of the fruits of his industry and thrift. When the government is robbed, the worst that happens is that certain rogues and loafers have less money to play with than they had before. The notion that they have earned that money is never entertained. To most sensible men, it would seem ludicrous, right? <laughs> so, and that's the end of that, that little mini chapter. I just wanted to go over that because it's so good. It's so good. So it's, it's Murray Rothbard's Anatomy of the State. It is an absolute must read. And it goes on. It's only like 55, 60 pages, something like that. It goes on. It's so good. It's so prescient. It is so important. 
and it's more important now in 2023 than ever, than ever before. Um, because all of these, all of these, this, this, these, uh, these slimy little sneaky manipulative uh, methods of, of convincing you to, to obey the government and, and literally worship the government that they're all at play. They're all, you know, they're working double, triple time on all of them right now. You know, tradition, guilt, uh, science, fear, everything. They're, they're doing it all. I mean, it's almost like they, they read this and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're not stupid people, the people in government. That, because, look, let's face it, they're winning. They're winning. They're beating you. They're beating freedom. You are less free than you've ever been in your whole life. In your whole, in, I mean, in, in American history. Americans are less free now than they've ever been in American history. And they're going to be, you know, our, our freedoms will be slowly and and you know when you think of everything for example our national debt you know kids are born with about seventy eight thousand dollars in national debt to their name i mean <laughs> they're you know they're, they're born to that that the three seconds after they breathe their first breath they owe seventy eight thousand dollars so yeah none of us are free so all right that's it i'm gonna stop there over 20 minutes so so uh, let me know what you think. Uh, you can you can get me on Podbean. You can get me on Twitter, Libertarian Rep Three on Twitter, and on everything Getter and Truth and Gab and and uh, Minds and MeWe. I'm on MeWe. Uh, I'm on the, the I'm in the Tom Woods Elite Group on on MeWe, which is which is great. Uh, so yeah, let me know what you think. Give me some shares and some likes and some ratings, all that kind of stuff. And I will see you on the next one. All right. Bye-bye.